chapter of the Gospel according to St. Mark, beginning at the 35th verse. Glory to you, Lord. Andrew John, sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those who they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. The Son of Man came not to serve, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Grace to you in peace from God our Father, from our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'd like to start with a little background um, of where we are in, in the Gospel lessons. We've been doing the year of Mark. You know. I'd like to uh, tell you about the events of Jesus' ministry in, uh, coming up to this conversation between James and John and Jesus. They're called the Sons of Thunder because apparently they kind of were out there. Uh, they weren't afraid to ask for what they wanted. And this, this incident takes place just before Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last time. So we're really coming up kind of out of place in the year, but we're coming up to Holy Week. This is just before Palm Sunday. It tells us two important things. First, God, uh, it tells us that Mark's Gospel devotes six of its 16 chapters to the last week of Jesus' life. Not quite half. The, the last week of Jesus' ministry in life. And so this incident is pivotal. I think it's important to look at for what Jesus is doing with his ministry. The second thing is that Mark wants us to know that the disciples still didn't get it. This is almost before Jesus is crucified, and they still didn't get it. In fact, they wouldn't get it until after the resurrection. So these disciples come to Jesus, a little on the sly, I'm sure. And they ask for a favor. We want you to we want to be at your right hand and your left hand when you come into your kingdom. We want to be your right hand and your left hand man. We want to sit next to you when you sit on your throne in your earthly kingdom. And they didn't even get that part yet. So they're asking to be next to Jesus in power, to be his prime minister and his treasurer, I suppose. In effect, they're asking to be those important people in Jesus' earthly kingdom. So they truly didn't get it. And they realized that they were asking, they probably wouldn't have asked for so much. 
wouldn't have asked such a foolish question. And if you think about it, just a few days from now, the two people who will be on Jesus' right and left are two thieves hanging on either side of him on the cross. One on his left, one on his right. So the question that James and John asked is not only foolish and childish, it was dangerous, although they didn't know it, because they just didn't get it. But Jesus turns their request back at them, and he says, well, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized with my baptism? Oh, yes, they assure him. But Jesus reminds them that they will experience his baptism and cup, but not the way they're looking for. So once again, the disciples are getting, are acting not like children, but they're acting childish. And the reaction of the others is really no better than that of James and John, is that they get indignant and they're upset. Probably, I suspect, because they didn't think of it first. So what does it mean? It, it, you know, it, it, they're, they're, they're not being like children, like, like simple children. They're being childish. They're not being innocent. They're being conniving. So what's the difference? Let's talk about that for a minute. Of course, we love children. We love our own. We love our grandchildren, especially. When I attend worship with my wife, she makes me sit up front. That's one of the reasons I preach a lot, because I don't sit <laughs> Because what happens if there are little children in church, I generally get both of us in trouble. Making eyes and smiling. We love children. They're great. They're free and they're wonderful. And they're totally self-centered. And in that respect, they're the perfect example, I think, of original sin. Babies especially are totally self-absorbed, totally godless. Or perhaps I should say, they are their own God. And of course we love being. We find their, uh, the, the, the self-centeredness of young children charming. The humorist Irma Bombeck had a few things to say about that. No doubt it was from personal experience. She says, never turn your back on a two-year-old. When traveling on my plane, she says, consider checking the children traveling with the luggage. She says, and this is my personal favorite, that's advice about two-year-olds. If, if you have a two-year-old, and the two-year-old is quiet, you better find it. She says, we love the child, but we punish the deed. Every time you tell them that you're driving them crazy, that they're driving you crazy, you have to show them that you can't imagine life without them. Unfortunately, for most of us, our children are gone. Now it's our grandchildren. And we can get away with spoiling them a little bit. And there's a certain amount of justice in that, I suppose. Yeah, we love them. We love the little ones. We love that, that beautiful innocence that's there. Even the self-centeredness. It's acceptable in children. In adults, self-centeredness is pretty disgusting, I think. Think of this scene. Mother comes into her son's bedroom on Sunday morning. She opens the curtains and she says cheerfully, Billy, it's time to get up. Time to get ready for church. 
from under the covers comes a grunt and a moan. Mom, I don't want to go. I hate it there. It's boring. It's too early. Those people are mean. They talk about me. I know they don't like me. Mom patiently explains that she's sure that none of that is true. And Billy replies, well, somebody always is saying that they don't like it when I talk. And finally, Mom says in a somewhat exasperated voice, William, you have to go to church. You're the pastor. <laughs> we like children. We forgive their self-centeredness. But in these full-grown adults, in this James and John truth deal, duo, it's just not pretty. Jesus makes the point that, that we are to come into God's presence as servants, not as masters. That we are to come into the kingdom as a child, childlike, as followers, but not as childish overlords. We're called to be God's servants in a childlike wonder and awe. And we're to treat others in the same way. Jesus' disciples were all acting very childishly. James and John, to be sure, but they're with their special request, but the others as well, with their indignation and their anger. They were still thinking in terms of an earthly kingdom with its power and its prestige, its trappings and its earthly rulers. And Jesus reminds them once again that being his disciples would bring them all the troubles they could handle, even Martha. Jesus is saying, in effect, soon your childishness will give way to childlike trust in God's grace. And when that happens, you will remember to be servants. So what does that mean for us? First, I think that we are called to trust in God's word. In the midst of life's troubles and griefs and losses, we're to trust in Jesus Christ and, to get, and, and not to get cocky about it, even in the, the abundant and the happy times. In our baptism, we were given a promise that God will never abandon us, that God has saved us because of the cross of Jesus Christ. In our baptism, we have the promise of an eternal relationship with the Father. We have all of that promise. Jesus', Jesus willingness to go to the cross for us is a sign of his trusting obedience. His resurrection is a sign that we too can trust in God's baptismal promise to save us because of Jesus. Because of that, we can live in, in relationship of faithful, hopeful love and service to those God gives us to live with, to serve, to be around. For the church and for us, there is this call to serve, to be childlike, to be trusting, in worshiping God and serving neighbor, our, our gratitude for God's grace. Whether we are childish, childish or childlike depends upon the work of the Holy Spirit among us. For the Spirit to work among us, I think we always must keep the cross before us. When a congregation, or for that matter, the whole church, focuses on something other than servanthood, we become childish and selfish, and we cease to be the church. We really become a club. And clubs are good. The Lions, the Rotary, 
the 4-H, whatever you want. They provide much good in the community. I'm not debating that for a second. But the church is about worshiping the worship of God. It's about thanksgiving for God's grace. It's about service and helping. And it is the hope of God's world. We have to look beyond our pew and our doors and our building and look for the face of Christ in our own little world. So I think our call is straightforward. Look to the cross. Act in childlike trust. Live in our baptism as servants of others. The reality, of course, is that we seldom, if ever, live up to even our own standards, let alone to God's. And when that happens, we look again to the cross. We turn again to Christ. We ask for forgiveness and grace. And we give thanks for our baptism and our trust in God's in God to forgive and save us. Amen. He's the God that passes all understanding. Keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And we'll continue with a brief period of silence as we reflect upon the words of Scripture and the words of this sermon.